This morning we're going to continue a lesson which we began last week, and that is discussing the life of Noah. And the truth is, Noah was a multi-talented person. You know, in the Bible we think about in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. The talents there referred to amounts of money. But when you look at people's lives, you recognize there are some people who are blessed with one talent. There are some that are blessed with two talents. Some are blessed with multiple talents. And Noah was one of those men. He was a faithful follower, father, saving his family. In fact, if you read and study about his life and you talk about Noah and his family, his sons, his sons' wives, that's a great honor and a privilege to say that he was a good father. He also was a preacher of righteousness, as we observed in our lesson last week. He preached righteousness. He was a righteous man who preached, and uh, that meant a lot in his preaching. But he was also the builder of an ark. And the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 7, talks about his building this ark by faith. He was able to accomplish great things because of his faith in God. And obviously, if you and I study our Bibles and look at it carefully, we'll realize that you and I can be multi-talented people doing great things for God if we will but allow ourselves to follow God by faith. So here's what we want to accomplish this morning in our lesson. We want to look, first of all, at the directions. God gave... Noah directions for the building of that ark. Number two, we want to look at the deliverance that was provided in that ark and also the deliverance that the flood provided. And then number three, to talk about some life lessons. To begin with, let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis again. Last week we looked at the first few verses of Genesis chapter 6. And I want to draw attention to two verses, Genesis 6 verse 22 In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 5, these are not just filler verses in the Bible. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Chapter 7 verse 5, and Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. When you think about directions like that, you have to realize it's important to notice that he carefully followed the directions. Not only did he carefully follow, he followed all of them. During the time I was in preparation of this lesson, I thought about some problems that I was having with my computer. I had to replace a printer. It was not printing like it was supposed to. And I contacted the manufacturer and I said, Here's the problem I'm having. They said, well, do this. And I tried doing that, and it didn't work. I contacted them back again. I said, do this. They said, did you do what we told you to do in the order we told you to do it in? And I looked back, and I did not. Still didn't work, but uh, (laughs) the problem was sometimes, though, is that we don't do things that we're told to do. But Noah did all that God commanded him in this. He followed God's direction. And I want to give credit where credit is due. I was talking to Brother Bobby Liddell earlier this week. And uh, 
I told him, I said, I preached on Noah yesterday. This is on Monday. And I said, I'll be preaching on it again Sunday. And he says, what are you going to say about him for two weeks? I said, well, the second's going to be building the ark. He said, well, here's your outline. He said, to build, to bring, and to board. And I thought, well, that's really good. So he must have preached on it recently as well. But I told him, I said, I'm going to use that outline. That's really a good series of thoughts. So let's begin with chapter 6 and verse 14 and look at God's directions to build. Chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark in its side, and you shall make it with lower and second and third decks. Now, let's look at what God told him to do. Make an ark. And when we think of an ark, uh, we generally think about a boat. But do you realize the word ark is used at least three times in the writings of Moses in Genesis through Deuteronomy? Obviously, in this text, he refers to the ark. But do you remember when it told us about the early birth of Moses himself? you remember how his mother put him in an ark of bulrushes? Or do you remember later on when God gives the directions for the building of the tabernacle, he has this chest that is to be built. And the Bible calls it the Ark of the Covenant. You see, the term ark simply means a chest or a box. We need to think of the ark not as a ship that sails through the water, but as a big barge meant to hold a lot in its containing. The second thing God tells him is to make it of gopher wood. Now, you should not think of the little animal called a gopher because it has nothing to do with this. In fact, this is a transliterated word. You know, when you take a word from the original language and you put it in English, sometimes the writers didn't know what the word meant, so they just took the letters and they turned them into the English letters, like baptism comes from baptizo. This word in the original language is gopher, spelled G-O-F-E-R, and thus you have gopher wood. Some scholars believe that it was a resinous wood. You know, like some trees have a resin or a rosin in them. If you're from Alabama, it's rosin. Uh, but it's like, for instance, a pine tree has some sort of a sap that makes a hard, thick covering on it. Or some think it's a cypress. The truth is we don't know what gopher wood was. The important thing is no one knew what it was. And according to the text, he did exactly what God told him to do. He told him to pitch it within and without. That means to put this tarry-like substance. You know, I remember building basements. You have to 
put the block walls up and then you cover it with a tar and then usually some sort of plastic sheathing or something. You see, that's the way he wanted Noah to build this ark. It wouldn't have been pretty, but it would have been seaworthy, so to speak. The dimensions that God gives him is 300 feet long, 50 feet wide, and 30 feet high. And someone says, well, how much is that? Well, depends on if you're using the Hebrew short cubit, the Egyptian short cubit, the common cubit, the Babylonian royal cubit, the Hebrew long cubit, or the Egyptian royal cubit. That means it ranges anywhere from 17 and a half inches to a little over 20 and a half inches. And you can say, well, where does that come from? Generally, a cubit was measured from the tip of the elbow to the tip of the fingers. And depending upon whose arm you're using, it could be either longer or shorter. Some of you have much longer arms than I do, and you may have a, an Egyptian royal cubit. Some of you may have shorter arms than I do. You can say, well, how would they have any sort of standard whatsoever? When a building was built, they used the lead contractor, we would say, but the guy who was overseeing the program used his cubit to build the building. So which one was the ark? We're not certain. Many people argue that the Egyptian royal would have been what Moses would have used in writing this because that's what the people would have understood. Others believe that it is the Hebrew long, which was the more common of it. So that means the ark could have been anywhere from 437 and a half feet long to 515 feet. Uh, some of us are going to visit the ark encounter this weekend. It uses this Hebrew long, so it ends up a little over 500 feet long. We know that there was to be a window and a door and three decks. Then there was the directions of what to bring to put into the ark. And let's look at Genesis 6, verses 19 through 21. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kinds, of the animals after their kind, of the creeping things after their kind, on uh, things of the earth after its kind, two of every kind you shall keep them alive, and you shall make for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Now, when you start looking, there's two of every living bird every living animal, every living insect. I will emphasize that God said bring the male and his female. Noah knew nothing of this new gender identity. You see, in God's eyes, there's the male and the female. There was also to be brought for them food, food for them to eat and food for the animals to eat during that period of time. The third thing that you see in the directions is a direction to board, and it's found in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female.
two of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also, seven each of birds of the air, a male and his female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. Now, I know that some people, as I read through there, said, well, there's a contradiction between chapter 6 and chapter 7. When God said to bring two, the male and his female, but here he tells them to bring seven of the clean animals. You're probably thinking, why seven? Why the clean animals? Well, obviously, Noah had to eat something while he was on the ark. Obviously also that after they exited the ark, there were going to be sacrifices that needed to be offered. Notice chapter 8 and verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Wouldn't it have been sad if Noah had only taken two of every clean animal and he takes and sacrifices the two lambs uh oh. Nothing left of the lambs. So you see the need for the seven for Noah to be able to offer sacrifices and for food. Now, for just a few minutes, let's talk about the deliverance that God provided. Let's go back to the passage that was used as our lesson text this morning Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Now when you look at this, you look and see that the ark saved the family of Noah from the flood. There was a sense in which Noah was saved by the ark. But there's also the emphasis in the Bible that Noah, his family, and the world was saved by the flood waters themselves. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. And there Peter writes about these people in the flood who were formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, he tells us when, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, now listen carefully, were saved through water. Saved through water. Now before I go on to read chapter, or verse 21, I want you to see what existed. You had the old world with all of its corruption. 
You had the flood that washed the world of all that wickedness, got rid of it, and then on this side you have the new world in which righteousness dwells. What was it that cleaned the world of all its wickedness? It was the flood. Now, verse 21, there is also an antitype, or if you're reading the original King James, a like figure, which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So on this side, you have the old man with all of his sinful doings. You have him put through the water in baptism. And then on this side, you have a new man who has been cleansed of all that wickedness. So you see the parallel, or as the Bible uses the term, the antitype, the light figure. There's a similarity between the flood and baptism. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, he makes reference to this again. He said, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Now, how did he do that? Bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. That's the way he did it. Bringing the flood on the world. That was the cleansing that took place. Now, we'll tell you what's really, really sad and difficult is to hear that there are people who refuse the offer of salvation. You see, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He warned the people that there was going to be something coming. And Hebrews 11, 7 says something not yet seen. There was the offer of it, and as you look at Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. He says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now if you look at the destruction of Jerusalem, which is the background behind some of these passages... Everything just seems to be going on. You know what will happen when the Lord returns again? There are going to be people who are going about their daily activities. They're going to be eating. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be getting married. They're going to be having children. They're going to be going about their daily activities. And then all of a sudden, just like when the flood came and the people were unprepared, the world will be lost. Now, for just a few moments, I want you to consider Ezekiel chapter 14. This is a passage which appears in a context related to Old Testament Israel and their rejection of God's plan for them. And he said in Ezekiel 14, verses 14 and 20, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. Verse 20, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. 
One of the points that Ezekiel makes frequently is, is that every one of us is responsible for the way we live before God. See, in chapter 18, he says, The soul who sins shall die. The father shall not bear the iniquity of the son, neither shall the son bear the iniquity of the father. Every one of us is responsible for our own righteousness that we perform in our lives. God expects each of us. And he says, with regards to them, I'm not going to save a whole nation. I'm only going to save a remnant of those who are living righteous. You know what? When the Lord comes again, you may look on the pew next to you, to your right and to your left. You may look in front of you. You may look behind you. And you know who is going to be responsible for your salvation? You are. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, that's going to be your decision, your choice. If you need to be restored, that's going to be your decision, your choice. You're going to have to make up your mind where you're going to be. Now, for just a few moments, let's consider some life lessons in all of this. Because there's some points that we've not yet stressed to the great degree and detail that we need to. And that is, directions are important. When God wants something in a certain way, He gives man directions. He gave Noah directions for the building of this ark. He gave Moses directions for the building of the tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, he talks about this tabernacle. He says, Who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Moses, build this tabernacle exactly like God wants it. The length, the width, the height, the various coverings. Noah, I want you to build this ark. The church, I want you to worship me according to the directions and instructions that I give you. But number two, going along with that, is specifics are important. There's a lot of people that look at the churches of Christ and say, you partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Why do you do that? They look at us and say, why don't you have a piano over here in the corner? And the answer is, specifics are important. Oh, but don't you understand that God will just take anything as long as you give it in a good manner? No, He won't either. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, you find a statement with regards to David. Do you remember David, how excited he was when he was going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem? In his excitement, he planned and prepared a brand new cart to be built for it. He prepared oxen to be able to pull that cart. He had two very dedicated men, Uzzah and Ahau, to drive that cart. As the oxen came along and stumbled, the ark shifted on the cart. Uzzah reached out his hand to try to stable it. He didn't want that ark to fall. God's anger broke out against Uzzah. And God struck him dead right there. When you look at 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 13, 
He said, because you did not do it the first time, the Lord, our God, broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. We didn't do it right. This past Monday in our Monday morning Bible class, we studied Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 14 says, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. When God said, I want the Levites to be my priest, that didn't mean God didn't have to say, I don't want Issachar, I don't want Zebulun, I don't want Asher. No, you see, God, when He specifies something, that's enough. God didn't have to tell Noah... Noah, I don't want you to use any other wood besides gopher wood. When he said, I want gopher wood, that's enough. That's the reason why when God says sing, we sing. He didn't say to play. He didn't tell us to do something else. Number three, something I think perhaps would be easy to overlook is that God cared for the lives of animals. I wouldn't say just exactly like he did humans, but he did care for the lives of animals. God saw that they were provided for and placed on that ark, both the clean and the unclean. And when you listen to passages like Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and yet not one of them falls from to the ground apart from your father's will? Do you mean God knows every time there's a bird falls to the ground? Absolutely he does. In Jonah 4 verse 11, he's trying to persuade Jonah about why it was so important not to have to destroy Nineveh. He said in the last part of that, he says there's more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. Proverbs 12.10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. I'm not suggesting that God would say that it's wrong to eat an animal because that's the Bible teaches it's clearly righteous to do so. I'm not suggesting that God said it was wrong to offer animals in sacrifices because he commanded such to be done. I'm not suggesting that there's not a time and a place for the killing of nuisances. However, God did design his creation and he expects man to respect that creation. Number four, God provided the means and the method for man's deliverance. Noah, you need to make this art to deliver your family, okay? Those of us who live today have to recognize that God has also prepared for us a means and a method of our deliverance. And that's the only way. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. I can't go to heaven being a Muslim. I can't go to heaven being a Buddhist. If I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to have to go through Jesus Christ, and he's the only one. And I learn from our Lord what he wants me to do to be in him, he said to go and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. 
number five, there will always be foolish mockers. There's always going to be people who are going to say, oh, I don't believe in the flood. There are going to be people who say everything's the same. You know, in Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to shorten all this. He said in verse 3 that there's going to be scoffers that will come in the last days walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of His coming? You get to verse 5, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water that then existed being perished, being flooded with water. You see, there are people who are going to mock and say, I don't believe there's going to be a day of judgment. I don't believe the Lord's going to come again and judge every one of us. Well, there are people who didn't believe that in Noah's day too. And you know what happened to them? They drowned. Every one of them. And I want to leave with a life lesson is if you can save your family and yourself, you are a success. Sometimes we look at some of the great preachers who've gone on before us and the many people that they have baptized. But let me tell you, God's measure of success is a man who trains his family and a man who's able to get his family to heaven. That man is a success. The flood was a very sad event in world history. God gave us a reminder of the fact that His covenants are true. In fact, we still see it. The rainbow in the cloud in chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. God said, I won't ever destroy the earth again with a flood. To prove that to you, here's the rainbow in the clouds. But God has promised that there yet remains for us a day in the future. And the question as we will end our lesson this morning is, are you prepared for that day? In 2 Peter chapter 3, that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the day of God by which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we look, according to his promise, for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just like that flood, there's coming the judgment day. If you're not a Christian... We want to encourage you. We're going to sing an invitation song. And if you want to become a Christian, come forward and take a seat up here on the front pew. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, willing to repent of your sins and confess that faith, we'll baptize you. That, as we've already observed, puts you into Christ, puts you in a place of safety. You'll be in the ark of safety. If you're a Christian, you've already been put in that ark. Sadly, some walk back out the door. Don't wait when the door is shut and find yourself on the outside. Would you come on, stand and sing?